0: Welcome to the Ignite You Podcast. Stories of transformation, initiation, depth, and duality.
1: With a sprinkle of (laughs) sass. Yeah, we're super excited to drop in with Mr. James Silvas today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can't wait to hear what you got to say, man. I've been following your work, been brother from a distance for a yeah. while and finally we get to meet in person and drop in and hear what you got to say cool mm-hmm.
2: awesome yeah i'm looking forward to collaborating with you guys and producing some magic Let's
0: awesome do it. yeah and awesome. a uh a vegas native vegas which native is pretty amazing one of those rare unicorns <laughs> here i'm true. holding it down dude I know. we were talking yeah. about this before how this like this ever-growing city mm-hmm. is this place that is very new to cam and i've only been here for a couple of days but it's it's a powerful portal. Yeah, it seems to be like a really, like potent hub for yes. people in this work and in this field. Like, do yeah. you notice you meet a lot of like-minded humans and people on the path, or is it kind of this? As I hear often, it's kind of like a transient place too, and people you know come and yeah. go, and you got to travel around. It is. To it is
2: transient, and you'd be surprised at how uh how many brilliant minds you can find in, in places you, didn't, you wouldn't think. Like for yeah. me, I was in the industry, right? Working at the club scenes. Mm. And I would have so many deep, profound conversations in shift yeah. yeah. With some of the bussers yeah. and cocktail servers. And yet, you know, if you were to judge them by what they do, uh, you wouldn't think that they think the way that they do. And some mm. people do it because they they have bigger visions and bigger goals and the money that they make, they allocate to that. Um, But yeah, man, this this is a a beautiful city that, uh, like you said, is very uh, extreme on both ends. And growing up here as a kid, temptation is literally right there. Every billboard, everything. It's constantly bombarding you, right? So if you don't grow up or choose to embody morals and values, you can get sucked up pretty quick in money, fame, status, and very superficial things.
0: Do you think that that supports building resilience like people that grow up in cities versus and you don't have the experience but like a rural area mm-hmm. like you almost kind of either have to choose to focus yeah or you're going to be distracted and in that yeah you no know, did you notice that like growing up in a place like this would build resilience or does it make it harder to actually yeah. have that mental um, capacity
2: i think it presents the opportunity to do so okay you know i think if you were if, if i were given an opportunity to go live in more of a rural place, having not experienced the diversity that a big city offers, I wouldn't have as much experience with with life and mm-hmm. what life presents in mm-hmm. all of its different forms. And so I like growing up in a city and then being able to visit rural yeah. because I can slow it down, but mm. speeding it up, I think is much more challenging than slowing it down. Yeah, you know. And so the city naturally has a speed to it that mm-hmm. if you don't adapt, you kind of get, left behind in a way and then you're like yeah. you know not you're swimming in deep water without knowing how to swim and yeah. sometimes but um i'm grateful to have grown up in a city mm. uh, especially one like vegas that's so mm. well known and you get a, a lot of different cultures coming in every weekend and when i worked in the industry like different bachelor parties or <laughs> yeah. or even uh, bridal parties that come from all over the world, mm-hmm. different languages, different mm-hmm. ideologies, different beliefs. And if you're open-minded enough and curious enough, you can find out a lot about the human spirit just by having a random conversation with someone that you'll never meet with again.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that so much. It's it, it, that that duality is so present, right? Mm-hmm. and and it it just I find it it really fosters creativity, like yeah. on the deepest level, right? You know, as as someone who also grew grew up in a city, when it's too slow for too long i i people are like don't you feel more creative and i'm kind of like no I, I like to be in the mix i like <laughs> yeah. to be learning from people from different countries i like to be just just opening myself up to to the wide spectrum of human existence and mm-hmm. and that leads to to creativity for me and 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 so i love that you said that it's it, it's it's very rare and a lot of times i think people are like let me try and get out of this yeah. let me try and go into you know more slowness get out of the city you can't go there but there's so much beauty in the chaos when mm-hmm. you learn how to navigate it. Yes. Yeah. Learning how to navigate. Yeah, it, definitely. That's the key. Right? <laughs> or else you're just in a spiral. One time yeah, definitely. You know, just, yeah. When is yeah. this gonna end? For sure. Yeah. So so as we kick off, James, why don't you just give us a little breakdown on on what you do, what you're all about, just like yeah. a, a quick one. I'm sure we'll get into, you know, how yeah. you got into it and all that. But the
2: que- You know, the question's always so interesting because it, I'm not fond of titles. We've talked about yeah. this before. Yeah. Um, Defining myself as one thing is, is so limiting in a lot of ways because I don't do just one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the title, quote unquote titles, that I've come to f- feel that people understand the most is a mindset specialist or a performance coach. And I help people get out of their heads mm-hmm. and become their own best friends rather than their worst enemies. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever, if, if you want to do anything in life that's challenging or uh, purposeful or something bigger than what you're currently doing, you're going to need to be your best ally. And in and, and many moments when you're being intentional and going for something big, you are gonna, that path is not as crowded as other paths, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's gonna be a lot of conversation with yourself in very challenging, turbulent times. And if you don't know how to communicate with yourself in a way that it, it supports you, empowers you, and builds you from the inside so that you're less dependable or on the outside, the external, um, it's easier to crumble. Mm -hmm. And especially when there's so many options and so many things to do, not having a strong internal reference point is a recipe for destruction, implosion, Mm -hmm. and um, a lack of intentionality. Mm
0: -hmm. You said something really interesting that people probably don't think of when they hear mindset is helping people get out of their heads, mm-hmm. yeah. which I think is, yeah.
1: Yeah. when right. people think
0: of mindset, I think they think of like, okay, I need to use my mind a lot, yes, because this is mindset, I'm setting something. Right? Could you expand on that? When you say mindset and help people get out of their heads, yeah. what do you mean by that?
2: Well, there's so many distractions, right? And mm-hmm. with distractions comes which choice is the right one.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's such a, a complex question in a lot of ways, because, our mind is a reasoning machine and, and it can find a, a justification as to why X decision is important just as much as Y decision. Mm-hmm. And so we can get caught in this FOPO, fear of other people's opinions, or mm-hmm. FOMO, fear of missing out. FOPO, that's a new one for you Yeah, and so that kind of interrupts our ability to think clearly. And because people don't sit in silence to understand themselves, or because they're so reliant on what other people think, they don't learn how to think for mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they get caught in this analysis paralysis mm. and they just spin their wheels and they get so exhausted from that that they just rely on someone's clear interpretation of what they think they should do. And then they go do that. But, but it's not built from their own mm. like, words or their own time. And, and so a lot of times when I work with somebody, it's slowing things down enough for them to realize how, how much excess they have that they yeah. don't need. In their mind right yeah. and that comes down to breath mm-hmm. or movement or a core set of values that one can orient and anchor to that creates a clearer picture for them to build intentionally brick by brick until years later they look back and like damn i built this yeah you know
0: this so, is i love this because this is something that cam and i both do we run the change a story challenge Hmm. And it reminds me of that because you're saying, you know you take on these things and kind of make them your identity, but they're other people's thoughts and opinions. Yes. And then that, when does that happen most? usually in childhood, usually in upbringing? That's right. On that, I'm curious on a personal level, a story that you've worked through. Like what was one of the stories you had yourself, yeah, that you had to work through, either in an early age or of recent times? Yeah, where you notice that you had this thing inside of you that was dictating your life but it wasn't yours. Uh,
2: that I don't deserve to share my story because mm. there's no significant trauma attached to it. Mm. I grew up in a, uh, you know, above average family uh, financially. So above, like right in the middle class, slightly above. Yeah. Family was, my parents were married for, have been married for 20 something years, mm. strong, secure attachment. Um, learned a lot, was, was very happy. Nothing too crazy happened to me. And so in my mind, I was like, why would someone wanna hear something that went so well? Yeah. Like there's nothing special about that. My parents aren't divorced. I wasn't raised in poverty. Um, I didn't have any illnesses or diseases. And so rather than me talking about myself, let me always make the conversation about other people because mm-hmm. they're more interesting than me. Mm-hmm. One, I was genuinely curious to learn more about people. Mm-hmm. My mom taught me, you know, you can always learn something from someone. So I think I naturally had that curiosity, but then deeper than that, it was I my story is not valuable. And if my story is not valuable, then I at some level am not valuable because that story is, is in, in a way how I view myself. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I did therapy proactively, I reached out to a therapist and said, hey, I don't have any like, big problem that I'm wrestling with here, but I also know that I may have blind spots. And so I'm hoping that you can help me dig through mm-hmm. my past and find something. And, and when was
0: this just so, so it's like insight. three, four years
2: ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm midway through my career mm-hmm. <laughs> roughly mm-hmm. and still having these thoughts. Yeah. Right. And so mm-hmm. he asked me a series of questions and and pretty quickly he's like, so it sounds like you're not appreciative of your story and I was like oh yeah I mean there's nothing special to it he's like well what do you mean by that and I'm like I haven't gone through anything like crazy he's like so you have to go through something crazy for it to be valuable
1: mm-hmm.
2: I'm like well yeah and okay and so we broke that down and and basically what he helped me realize is although there weren't significant traumas there were a lot of things that I started doing that were right early like at 12 years old being very intentional about practice and schooling and and you know, morning routines and self-talk. And a lot of the stuff that I teach now, I was doing at 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Like when people in high school were going out and partying, I was building my craft that I'm leveraging now. And he helped me realize that I was doing a lot of that without me realizing it. And so over time, I've learned to love my story. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that probably feel the same way that I do. And for me to just say, hey, like, just because you didn't go through something catastrophic, doesn't mean you're any less valuable. Mm. In fact, you could hold the space for love for a lot of people because you know what it's like. Mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so I've kind of leveraged that and carried that into a lot of my sessions, mm. understanding that I can create that space of safety for people to blossom into who they really wanna be.
1: You're highlighting something so beautiful here. So many people don't think that their stories are, are, are worth it. Mm-hmm you know and we hear that a lot even in our our challenges and i'm sure you do very often as well in your work is people don't think that the way they've been raised or what they've gone through is significant sometimes even when it's quote unquote big t trauma right right and and i think this is this is so powerful for humans to to realize and to really let it sink in where you know i i really i fought, I, I can't remember who said it but this, everyone's got a book in them you know no matter what you've got wisdom Mm-hmm. And you've got something to share, and I love how you're highlighting this, because you know we've known of each other for a while. You know we've talked we've talked a couple times, but I know that you're 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 you have immense integrity. You have a huge heart. You're an amazing father. You're an amazing friend. Like nobody I've ever met has anything to say but the best things about you. And that's a byproduct of your past. you know, and that's so cool for people to to hear, I'm sure. Because those stories, yeah. they're so invalid. They're so inaccurate. Like they yeah. do not. They're, they're just. They're just there to keep us stuck. So I want to thank you for bringing that up because that's that's potent. That's powerful.
2: I appreciate that, brother.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: a lot of work, you know. Yes. Personal work. If we don't, if I don't grow, I feel like a hypocrite. Totally. I mean? And then I just feel like I'm not bringing that level of integrity to the conversations that I'm having.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's why I asked about the timeline. I was curious. I was like, yeah. when was this? And Uh, people can obviously throw identity onto people like you somebody who's an expert in your field and be like oh no he's good he's got everything figured out so your truth is felt and thank you for that yeah and i think in this in these fields of like spirituality or high performance whatever it is people think there needs to be pain to find purpose (laughs) we often find like from pain to purpose is a beautiful beautiful path and that is incredible Mm mm-hmm But people often think it's like, oh, I don't have enough pain. So then will I then be able to create enough purpose? That happens too. That is the other side of the coin that you're mentioning of like, things are pretty good. So like, what do I even have here? I don't have enough trauma. Like I don't have enough to then give. And that is so important for people to hear, but a less talked about side of the coin. True. And I really appreciate it because we were actually talking about this too with athletes and different high-performing people where we're like, do athletes and do these people have to come from pain, have to come from, you know, hard places to then become the best? Or, you know, can they come from love and can they come from this thing and still be the best? Yeah. And that's an interesting one. I wonder what you think about that. Well, like what are your thoughts so, yeah. on coming from pain versus coming from love? Like, inspiration versus desperation to create something great. I think you got to use what you have, yeah,
2: right? Mm. I look, I think of michael jordan and and Kobe Bryant as two right off the dome kind of uh, th- examples. They didn't come from big traumas. Mm. I mean, cut from the basketball team, you could interpret that as potentially something catastrophic. But I don't think he viewed it like that. Mm-hmm. Michael uh, had loving parents that were with him the whole journey. Um, Haven't heard of any like, you know, deaths in the family up until he was already established in his career. So there's that, and then there's Kobe who always had the love from his parents. And when he was 12 years old, his dad said, regardless of how many points you score in a game, how many championships you win, I love you regardless. Mm -hmm. And Kobe said that right there, just freed me to make mistakes and become as best as I possibly can, Yeah, you know? And I think at the end of the day, all we want is to be loved, accepted, respected. And if we can learn to cultivate that ourselves and have people around us that show us that, uh, that's the environment where I think the, the human being can truly flourish. From my point of view, with my story, I had to tap into something super meaningful. Mm. It wasn't pain. It was all service-based. Mm-hmm. And maybe there was a tinge of people-pleasing in it but I've worked on myself enough to know when I'm operating in that, versus when I'm operating in true like, I want you to be your best. And when I'm always in that, it's like the flow happens. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you're dancing with the unknown, with someone else who's also equally bought in, and together you're co-creating the next moment and creating what's supposed to be in that moment. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you need pain but I think you have to identify where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. If you have pain, use that until there's a transition where those that's no longer required. And if you don't come from pain, that's also fine. Leverage that and be that safe space or that loving personality or that, that goodness to other people.
0: So a different way to form that question I'm curious about is, do you feel you can push yourself as hard from love as you can from fear?
1: Mm.
2: That's tough. That's tough. My first instinct is there's going to be more pushing with fear Mm -hmm. than with love. But on the flip side, love is more constant and sustainable. Yes. Right? So fear can be more intense, Mm -hmm. maybe initially, but love ultimately engulfs. Mm-hmm. i think of love as like a black hole in a lot of ways it like the gravitational pull that comes from it just transforms everything that comes through it mm-hmm. you know and so yeah that, i mean that's that's i'll leave it at that yeah <laughs> i love it <laughs> that's that a great how, answer
0: how the sustainability yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. important
1: yeah i love that so much and, and we you know we we've we've wrapped on this a lot where we're kind of like okay if you've got a you've got this athlete what would happen, you know, if we feed them love versus if you play into pain and and what would be the result and how sustainable would it be? Yeah. And, you know, we, we've got a theory that love would carry that person so much further. They'd probably avoid injury. They'd probably avoid, mm-hmm. you know, the rock Quality star happiness. Life. Quality yeah. of life would, would be better. Would it be as fast? Who knows? That's kind of the big question, but love yeah. that answer because truly the sustainability would, would would be there with love over fear yeah. always, mm-hmm. always if, if we're always. going
2: off speed I think fear is faster yes it's a
1: sprint it is <laughs> yeah, yeah it
2: is and one could argue that you have to be first in some situations and in certain domains and hey fair enough but mm-hmm. it dep- what game are you playing mm-hmm. right are you playing a finite game where you know you're you're kind of in, in a fixed time frame and you're trying to win at that thing or are you playing a longer game more infinite game where it's not so much about winning as much it is about playing. Mm. Playing is the true yeah. reward. If that's the play, then love no doubt
0: wins. Mm-hmm. Can you go into that for a second? Because it's like the Simon Sinek kind yep. of style mm-hmm. of like finite versus infinite games. Can you just expand on like yeah. what a finite, what an infinite yeah, game so is? Yeah, so a
2: finite game, basically, let's look at sports. Sports are great examples of finite games. you set a certain set of time, uh, a certain set of players that everybody knows about, and the whole point is to win or lose. Those are the main characteristics of finite game. Infinite game is there is no end. Mm. There's infinite numbers of players, Mm. infinite numbers of strategy, and the whole joy of playing an infinite game is that you're playing. Mm -hmm. Playing is winning. Mm. So if you you get to play, you're winning. Mm. You can't win an infinite game because there's no end. It's not about where's the end because the end is irrelevant. It's... How can i play to the best of my ability right now and improve the game Mm. so that everyone else who plays the game enjoys the game or or there's evolution in the game but we're playing a game let's not get that confused right Mm -hmm. you're not winning i'm not winning uh because there's no end so even though you may be winning financially right Mm. now or you may be winning with relationships or you may be winning x y and z that may not be the case 5 years from now mm-hmm. so that's why you can't it's not about winning or losing
1: mm. yeah so what I, what i'm what i'm picking up from from what you're saying here it's almost it's almost like in your work you probably take a lot of people from that autonomic fear response and move them into that love response where it becomes more sustainable it become like life becomes that infinite game yeah and you said something really interesting before we started this episode when you were talking about the difference between thoughts and thinking. Yes. And and that really starts to kind of play into this in a sense because I'll, I'll let you elaborate on sure. on what you've been contemplating, but you know, it's really moving from that fear autonomic response to that love more heart-based intentional response. So yeah. I'd love to hear your your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I've been thinking about this like like I said super new thought, but let's say the last seven to 10 days, right? So I think about human beings and what makes a human being happiest or what brings out the best in a human being. And I, and I think evolution is a key component of this. I view evolution as going from default to design, right? Mm. And default means you were programmed by something, someone, and there is a a loop, a thought process loop that keeps happening, right? And until you become aware that there's a loop, you're stuck in default. Mm-hmm. So we go through our lives and we react to certain people, certain personalities. We, we show up to certain situations and spaces in specific ways. A lot of the times, by default. You said something. Now I feel something. I don't know what I'm feeling and why that happened, but that it's there. And that's it. And then a similar thing happens and you have that same thing. And until a person says, why am I feeling that? Or why am I doing that? Then you don't make the leap from de- default to design, right? Mm. Now, so that that's the default part. And then I think about all these, these stories, all these, uh, we were talking about internal family systems earlier, yeah. where we have these roles that we play depending on the environments that we grew up in. And so if we have these roles that we play and each of these roles has its own identity and its own skill sets and its own personality, whatever, then that's that's a loop by definition. We just snap into certain things depending on the situation. And people think that the loop is their thinking. But Thinking is your ability to consciously hold something and analyze it from many different vantage points, come up with a, what, what works here, what doesn't, strategizing the next couple steps that come from that thought, and from there, intentionally choosing a course of action. Mm-hmm. That is thinking. Mm-hmm. People aren't thinking nowadays. They're just default reacting. Mm-hmm but they think that they're thinking. They're like, let me think about that. But really what you're saying is, let me get back into my comfort-based living where, my, where I think my thinking is looping, and, and that's, that's me. You're not your loops. You're the, you're the consciousness that can identify the loop and choose different. Mm-hmm. Freeing. Mm-hmm. If you choose to step into that. Hard to do because then you'd have to decide. And with decisions comes consequences and responsibility and shifts in relationships and the dynamics that go on there. And if you're comfortable in chaos, because that's what you grew up in, or you're comfortable within your current relationships, why would you interrupt that? So people don't think, Mm -hmm. yet they think that they're thinking, (laughs) you know? So... If you want to evolve, you have to first stop to think about who you want to be. Then you have to choose what type of actions that type of person does. Mm -hmm. How do they interact with people? What kind of relationships do they have? What do they choose for the line of work? How do they do things? And then course that over the next days, weeks, months, years, until that version of you is is you. Right? Right? Mm -hmm. but it is you because you chose that, Mm -hmm. not because it was always you based on some program Mm -hmm. that you had when you were a child. Mm -hmm. And so it's just fascinating to me that uh, we've lost our ability to think in a lot of ways.
0: Mm -hmm. It's the same conversation between reactivity versus responsiveness, right? Being able to choose that. This is so good. I love this contemplation. And it's like you're choosing new patterns. You're like, there's a system here at play. There's already a mechanism in there. Yes. So why could I not then start choosing new patterns to start playing out? Right. When you're saying to stop and then start, like stop what you're doing and then start to implement these things mm-hmm. and you know what would this person do and why would they do it? That sounds great mm-hmm. and sounds difficult for a lot of human beings. I know for me, whenever I noticed, started noticing my patterns, the hardest thing was actually to stop and actually pause and just sit with it. Mm-hmm. How do you, when you say stop, what do you recommend in that space? Like, how does that actually look? Do you recommend like meditation, contemplation, sitting journaling? Like, what does the process start to look like with the people you work with when you think about stopping those Um,
2: patterns? Meditation's helpful for sure because it creates the space for your observation muscle to get bigger, better, and stronger. But I find that either a conversation with a trusted like professional, whether that's therapy or a coach, or journaling to be the most effective. Mm -hmm. Journaling because you get to see it. And anytime you see something, it just brings another level of tangibility that nothing else can. And our thoughts are invisible. You know, part of the work that I do is making the invisible visible, which is really, really hard to do. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking about, in essence, nothing physical. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right? But that invisible affects the visible.
1: Everything in it. Yeah. Everything. So Mm -hmm. I have
2: to know enough about the individual and enough about psychology to bring the awareness of the invisible to the visible Mm -hmm. so part of the stopping is the recognizing that you're having a thought that you don't want that is producing a result that you don't want pause see that once you see that document that Mm -hmm. write that down Mm -hmm. once you have it written down now you can begin contemplating on where that came from why it's there what you want to be different the consequences of that behavior also the pros of that behavior, because a lot of times people don't wanna change behavior because they feel like if they do, they're not safe. Well, it's not until you sit with these parts of you and, and say, hey, you know, this is a six-year-old response to a 35-year-old situation. Mm. This is no longer effective. It served you at one point. Let's mm-hmm. honor that. Let's find gratitude for that. Mm-hmm. And let's also recognize that the way you want your life to be can't happen running off this software. So then we have to upgrade it, right? Yeah. But we can't have that conversation until you've identified what needs to be upgraded. Mm-hmm. So the stopping is the up is the recognition and the the desire for something different, mapped out with consequences and and a series of action steps.
0: Mm-hmm. So good,
1: making the unconscious conscious. Dude, I like that. Tough yeah. work. And journal <laughs> <Some and, laughs> is right, not and, an and, instant. Yeah. And, yeah. and journal, isn't it fascinating how? powerful pen to paper is Mm -hmm. like so many people are like what's the system what's the course what's it's like just write down your thoughts and contemplate them oh it's too hard
2: if you think (laughs) if you think about some of the greatest thinkers what do they do
1: right yeah
2: i mean socrates i don't think he i there's no writings that socrates has so that might be the only exception but i find it really hard to believe that he didn't write anything down Maybe he was just in constant dialogue that it was just repetition over time, Mm -hmm. but outside of him, the most brilliant writers, politicians, uh, you know, leaders of their their cities, their countries wrote things down. Mm -hmm. We
0: write things down and we're great yeah so <laughs> was I'm was curious a little a little <laughs> so humble yeah. so humble and the, Just most the most humble it's crazy right. but a little <laughs> pivot here that i'm curious about because we have lots of people like i keep mentioning the spiritual space but yeah. when it comes to these mechanisms of of the mind mm-hmm. how do you differentiate intuition with these stories and these patterns that are coming up and what are your thoughts on what intuition even is
2: yeah i mean i do believe in intuition i do believe that we get these nudges from time to time and and from my experience they're more on the subtle side than the loud side Mm -hmm. so if you're constantly distracted and you don't create time to slow down or to pause or to relax you're not really going to hear them um so so there's a there's a intentionality of of preparing yourself to hear what it is that might come up. So mm. that's first step. Then there's a consistency with the message, right? And you may, I have experienced multiple times in my life where I heard a message like a gut instinct and I was like, nah, disregarded it mm. and then went through with that action. And then I was like, well, that didn't work out. And then at, in reflection, I remember that little voice and I was like, mm. Mm. okay, noted. Same, similar situation chose not to go against the gu- I went to against the gut again made a mistake I'm like okay that's two times where I had that initial feeling but didn't honor it third time got the nudge okay let me go with that as soon as i said go with that it's like it's like a uh, a calmness came through all the future decisions because it was in alignment with i think intuition is like it's always calling you to your highest most It's like your truth, Mm -hmm. right? And if if you tell the truth, you're operating at your best. Mm -hmm. If you're not telling the truth, you're more closer to a lie, and a lie is a false reality for you. Mm -hmm. And if you're living in a false reality, you're never gonna be your best. Mm -hmm. So if you tell the truth and you're at your best, then any situation that comes from that is what's best for you. Mm -hmm. And if you're at your best, and what's happening is best for you, that's the best case scenario.
0: Mm (laughs)
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. So
2: so why wouldn't you want that best case scenario? People would, hopefully would say, i want that. But then there's a whole bunch of fear and emotions and blockages that we probably would need to talk about. But that's the essence, right? Mm-hmm. The intuition is the truth. Mm-hmm. And there's always a consistency with that truth. You just have to feel it, document it, and consult it when you have very really important decisions to make in your life, mm-hmm. which that can happen daily for some people. Mm-hmm. But um, that w- that's been my process. Mm. Like for example, I'll give you one quick one. Um, I wanted to do something super challenging for me to grow, and I and I find that the physical challenges always help me with my mental challenges. So I chose to do sixty one miles in twenty four hours walking around Las Vegas. This was in two thousand eighteen, and I I I got inspired by Mike Posner who did a, ra- a walk mm-hmm. across America, and I was yep. like, dude, I could never do that because I don't have the time and. I would love to, but there's other things I have to do. So how can I do my own little version of it in Vegas? So then I started mapping out courses and I'm like, boom, around the city, 61 miles, totally can do that. The moment I mapped it out, I got this rush of like, yes, do it. I didn't know how, never done anything like that. And I was like, okay. So I went over to my wife and I'm like, babe, I'm going to walk 61 miles across Las Vegas in two months. And she goes, (laughs) what? Okay, okay, do what you got to do. And I, I didn't tell her to get her approval. I told her, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And it was the first, I could say the first decision that was that clear. Mm. Well, I just knew. Just knew. There's no second guessing. Mm. I don't care how challenging it is. I'm going to do it. And then because I did it, I raised a whole bunch of money for charity. I got 28 people that came in from different states and who were around Las Vegas that did it with me. And that was a very good And I knew how that felt so that that comes like my my filter for Mm. where's that truth coming from it's got to feel like this yeah so now every decision I make I'm like let me close my eyes real quick how's that feel feels right feels expansive feels aligned hits all my values
0: let's go with that Mm. even that micro pause that is Mm -hmm. so important there yeah so I have this theory that intuition is trained and it's an interesting one for a lot of people. It's like, no, it's just innately there. I believe it was innately there until other shit started stacking on. You know, like even what some people call gut feeling is mm-hmm. fear. It's like, oh, no, shouldn't do that. I felt off. It's like, check in with that maybe. Did you feel off? Why did you feel off? Mm-hmm and you sound like it's, it's fine-tuned mm-hmm. like you fine-tune this you know it you have mm-hmm. the mark and you're mm-hmm. like i see it mm-hmm. i know what that intuition is for me
2: mm-hmm.
0: a lot of people i think have an idea what intuition is and it can be hard to to tap into that but it sounds like you're saying something a little different something that is like it's innately there and you do have it but for the people that maybe come from you know traumatic backgrounds even as you know, as far as sexual abuse or these other things where it's like massive traumas, that these things are keeping them safe. Maybe that mechanism fires first before the intuition fires. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the first thing that comes through is no. But maybe the thing that comes through softer is yes. Yeah. But the fear is greater than the intuition. Yes. Is that possible? And if so, how do you start to train the mechanism of... What is what I feel is called intuition, and yeah. maybe you can, or maybe you don't even agree it's, with no, that. Theory. No, it's a
2: great question. I do think that intuition's always there. Yeah, I do think. I think it's a it's a built-in moral compass that gets it it gets built over time in the sense that it has directionality. Yeah, but I think it, there's always that like beacon of light, mm-hmm. you know, that someone could tap into. I call that truth, but you know, there's many words for it. With the with the fear, with the like the callousness that comes maybe from trauma, right? Yeah. Like. There's the sensitivities off. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a lot more digging that needs to happen. Um, but when you're doing anything new or anything that is potentially dangerous, fear is always going to be something that you're going to have to navigate. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that fear is an invitation. Yeah. Right? It's not something to run from. That it, It's a prompt like, hey, you're feeling fear Let's look at this. Let's befriend this because there's wisdom there that will catapult your awareness to a level that will help you be bigger than the fear.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But when you run from it, because some people have some really valid reasons for doing so, mm-hmm. then that fear rules every decision in your life. And so when that happens, you live more in your comfort, you live more in security, you make decisions that aren't as expansive. And you as a human being don't um you're not able to blossom as much as you potentially could settle.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because it's restrictive. Fear mm-hmm. is restrictive. Mm-hmm. It's not expansive. Yeah. Um, And so it's all for good reason. It's all for self-protection, but do you need protection?
1: Mm-hmm. This is, this, this brings up the topic of resilience for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the sense of that fear will be there. And, and, and especially if you come from big T trauma or you yeah. come from you know little T trauma, it doesn't matter, it's, it's gonna be there. And so what I'm hearing is like, you, you, you don't wanna run from it, especially when it's, it's the mind to tune into intuition, you, you wanna sit with it, yes. you wanna create that space. So I'm curious on the topic of resilience, do you have any, any ways or, or tools or applications for people to really start to learn how to not react to that fear and to learn that they are safe and and to just sit with Yeah. Well the first present. thing to
2: realize is you're gonna react to the fear. Okay. Right. Yeah. So so um and a clear cool example is what uh Michael Gervais did with Felix Baum, I'll maybe booking his last name, but Baumgarder, okay. He's the guy who free fall free fell from space.
1: Yeah, uh, the Red Bull jump, that Red like Bull stratosphere jumps, right? jump, right? Cool. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: But he had uh claustrophobia and he couldn't sit. For longer than 30 minutes to an hour in the pod that he would need to be sit- sitting in to get to the jumping off point. And they thought about scrapping the whole entire wow. thing. And Gosh. Dr. Michael Gervais came in as like, look, just give me another chance. Like, let me work with him. And basically through exposure therapy, which is basically mm-hmm. micro dosing actions and thoughts uh, until one can confront the fear and then move past the fear, he was he was able to move past it and ultimately make the jump. So so exposure therapy I think is, is a, mm-hmm. a really effective way to, to work through fear at a, a reasonable pace and make measurable progress. Mm-hmm. And so people might have fear of elevators. They might have fear of intimacy. They might have fear of starting their own business. Whatever the fear is, mm-hmm. what are the micro steps that you can begin taking to loosen the grip that fear has on your life so that you're not controlled by it. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: In a lot of ways, I don't, in a lot of ways, fear won't go away. But in certain situations, like him, Felix, jumping from space, fear needed to be extinguished. And up until recently, I didn't think that that was possible. Mm. But having listened to some of the greats, which I would consider Dr. Michael Gervais to be one of the greats, he's like, that is definitely possible. You can get to a point where you have so much proof uh, mm-hmm. that there is no doubts. There's not even faith. Mm-hmm. There's just belief. Mm-hmm. Like knowing. Just knowing. Yeah, and. Yeah.
1: yeah. And that, that reminds me of mountaineering. You know, I they they have this thing called pucker factor. Mm. <laughs> right. And it's like when you get closer to an edge or you get more exposure, your whole root, your perineum, everything just tightens up, right? Tight you ass. feel that. It's tight <laughs> ass, exactly. Pucker factor. Right. So, but the more you climb,
2: yeah,
1: and the more you walk that ledge, the more you trust your gear, the more you use it, the more exposure you get to heights. Yes. The less they affect you, and you see it. And if I stop climbing for two years, my resilience to that height mm-hmm. goes away. So I have to. When I keep climbing, that that just isn't there. I'm yes. I'm calm. I'm collected. Yes. I'm fine. But when I stop putting myself there, it it can kind of creep back. It's like the body's natural reaction.
2: Yeah, that's the exposure, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Like, yeah, that's why one of the biggest remedies that I think people can do is just do one thing, do one hard thing every yeah. day.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: To keep the resilience muscle yes, strong. Exactly. Otherwise, if you're constantly seeking pleasure or even happiness or security, you're not flexing, mm-hmm. you're not having to keep the sword sharp. Mm-hmm. Right. So what happens when uh, something foreign comes your way? You get knocked down and and potentially even forced down yes. to the point where you don't have the awareness, the skill set, or even the belief to maneuver that effectively. Mm -hmm. And I think people are losing that with their thinking. They're not sharpening the sword every day by being intentional with what they do, who they wanna be, who they surround themselves with, that they're dulling. And when, when you dull, you start to question, you second guess yourself. And when that happens, who do you believe? You believe the person who you think is more certain even if they're not telling the truth. (laughs) And so then you become reliant on someone else's thinking, not your own. And there's always this internal conflict because something in you is being like, you should think like this, but you're like, I know, but this person seems really sure. So let me just outsource that to them. So I don't have to go with the responsibility that it takes to think. And then they, they get mad when things don't go their way. But it's like, mm. you didn't even listen to yourself and begin with. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you give some examples of like microdosing, trusting yourself? It's like this this concept that I love, but yeah. a lot of people and including myself up until recent times, I didn't fully trust myself, Yeah, right? Because of these stories in the background of like, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not whatever, mm-hmm. I didn't trust myself fully. Yes. So do you have examples or people you've worked with where you're like, okay, here's ways you can start yeah. to cultivate trust it's, in your day to day? It's a
2: great question. Um. I think one thing is is just honoring your word. Yeah. I'm going to wake up tomorrow at seven o'clock. Alarm anyway. goes off, I get up. I'm going to eat lunch at 12. I'm going to call my mom at four. I'm going to pick up my kids at 2.30. And get used to what you say and what you do matching. Mm-hmm. That's integrity. Over time, you can have proof that I am I am what I say I am. That's a small, easy thing to do. Trust on the other side is, you know, a lot of people have evidence that when they make decisions, (laughs) things don't work out for Mm -hmm. them. And so that's where the lack of trust can come from. But I'm also willing to bet that at some time in your life, you also made a decision and things went right. That not every decision you've made has been wrong. Mm -hmm. So we need to (laughs) comb through the weeds to find the little seed of the strawberry fruit and realize like there's a kernel here, what happened here? What were you doing here? And, and deconstruct the, the decision framework that happened in that moment, and maybe even replicate it for future decisions. That's another way. Values, always talk about it, essential. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if your life is centered around a certain number of principles and you start choosing from those principles, there's, there's a foundation there that you can learn to rely on. Um, And so a mixture of those three, one of those three, I think are great, easy things to do that over time can yield a very strong belief in oneself.
0: These are really powerful. And I want to highlight one of them and I have a curiosity about it. You know, when you set, like you want to listen to your word, but your pattern has been like, oh, I say I want to get up at this time but I always fucking hit the alarm clock or always sleep in or yada, Mm -hmm. yada. I say I'm going to do it and I don't. And Mm -hmm. I'm a person that doesn't listen to my word. Like, okay, I hear this. I want to listen to my word then they miss the mark Mm -hmm. how do they then start wanting to start cultivating that trust even if they continue to miss the mark yeah what do you do in that place
2: well i think this is where compassion yeah will probably come in right Mm -hmm. and and maybe even forgiveness Mm -hmm. and and a a self-acceptance of of oneself usually People beat themselves up because they don't do the thing that they think they should do. And because they've have so many examples of them not doing what they think they mm-hmm. should do, they they compound the beating up. Right. And they're just so beat down that uh there's really no energy to keep going, right? So that that's that's really tough. And and, and in order to combat that, compassion for self needs to enter the picture. Mm-hmm and compassion is basically having empathy for yourself while af- while also having a motivation to want to correct it that's what mm-hmm. compassion is there's two components empathy and action um and it's interesting because compassion lights up the reward centers in the brain mm-hmm. whereas empathy lights up the pain receptors mm-hmm. in the brain which that was really fascinating and so if we have the reward circuits working for us with compassion and we learn to have compassion over ourselves in that we're rewarding the effort not the outcome that's where i think we can get ourselves out of the hole mm. a lot of times we judge ourselves by outcomes not by processes yes. and outcomes can take so long to happen that we can go months without giving ourselves a breadcrumb but the process of effort is if not more important than the outcome my opinion so it's like what action have you taken what conversations have you had what things have you identified um what steps are you doing let's focus on rewarding yourself for those Mm -hmm. and as we begin to get the dopamine going over the action not the outcome it it can it can have a snowball effect into something bigger Mm. so i think that that would be a good place to start is say hey everyone has their own speed Everyone's working at their own pace. What am I doing? Let's look at my actions. Okay, I have a lot of actions that I know I'm not doing right. Cool, we already recognize that. What am I doing right? Mm -hmm. I reached out for help, great. I stopped eating processed foods, awesome. I went for a walk today, cool. I uh, made my bed, beautiful. You know, like mm-hmm. start small, mm-hmm. but acknowledge the effort that went into those small things being done right. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. boom, that over time compounds. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that would be my answer to your yeah.
1: question. Yeah, I love that so much. And and Osho talks about this in, in in relation to emotional intelligence, where he talks about the elephant and he says there's three stages to emotional intelligence. The first is you see the tail of the elephant leaving the room, the, oh shit, I did the thing. You see the elephant in the room, you're like, I'm doing the thing. And then you see the head of the elephant, which is is the third level. And you're like, ah, 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 here Mm. it comes. Mm. But you celebrate every moment that you start seeing a bit more of that elephant across the whole spectrum. And I love that so much because with a lot of these intangibles, it can be really hard, right? If someone's working on, I don't want to be reactive to my spouse and then they're like, "Fuck! I did it again. I did it again." But it's like, but maybe you were a few more seconds aware. Mm-hmm. Maybe you, maybe you were aware that you were doing the thing, but you still took action. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Let's celebrate that. Let's really pinpoint that. That's amazing, yes. right? And, and as that awareness develops, like you're saying, that's that's the win.
2: Yeah.
1: And it can be a micro element of the elephant.
2: Yeah. But
1: that's the win. Right. You know. So True. I I love that so much. How do you use a physical representation of these things. You know, I, I always think about, you know, a lot of these, like, like you're saying, these 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 you mental know, more mental constructs yeah. are, they're, they're air, they're more kind of, yeah, they're not tangible. How do you see kind of the physical aspect come into the mix, like cold contrasting, things that are physically uncomfortable mm-hmm. to help people, you know, see this? Do you use any of that in your work and, and how does it flow?
2: Yeah, um, fitness is definitely one not necessarily appearance, but like doing physically hard things. That's mm-hmm. why I do like the 61 miles, the 78 miles. Yeah. That, that really puts me in a space of seeing myself in different ways. Um, um, the types of conversations that people have with people, I mm-hmm. think is another concrete yes. metric. Mm-hmm. How many uncomfortable conversations are you having with the people closest to you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pinnacle of like yeah. emotional yeah. intelligence yeah. and resilience, right? Um, Sometimes money can be correlated because people are stalling on reaching out to people or following up people or collaborating with someone. So there's, there's going to be a financial benefit to that. So that could be a metric. Um, And then just the heaviness in someone's body, Mm -hmm. you know, like the moment someone says something to me that they've never said to anybody else and the lightness that they talk about after that. Yeah. That's huge. Mm. And although that's that's still invisible in a lot of ways, it could be felt, felt physically, yeah, you definitely. know what I mean? So th- there's, there's that element um, to it. So I think that those would probably be the four main, well, sleep would be another one. What you eat, kind of like, yeah. Those would probably be the main metrics that mm-hmm. I look at mm-hmm. physically. Yeah. How how often are you exercising? Are there, are there hard exercises? What are you eating? How often are you sleeping? How many conversations are you having? Um, and then how like percentage wise, the actions that you want to do, how many, what percentage of you, of those are you doing? Mm-hmm. And are you happy with those? Mm-hmm. Cool. So, like typically I'm asking questions around those if someone has a block. Um, then there's the mental and emotional block around why people aren't doing their actions, and that can come from the trauma, that can come from the loops mm-hmm. that people don't realize are there. And it's not until you double click on those that people are like, oh shit, I'm not going after that. Because if I do, then I have to let go of all the other people in my life. Hmm. It's like, well, not necessarily. I mean, it's going to change, sure. But now that we've identified that there's a fear that was holding you back from making that decision, let's analyze the fear. Let's sit with this. Let's heal that so that you can go do what you want to do. And so um, those are the things that I'm scanning for in a conversation.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love it. I yeah. love it. This is, it brings up the the concept that I constantly hear, which is like people are not, Afraid of the worst case scenario, they're afraid of who they could become or their potential. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in that, and why do you think that that's the case? I know you just kind of hinted at it with mm-hmm. like, if I do that, I have to let go of those people. But why, like, why would people be afraid of what's possible for them and the power that they actually hold within themselves?
2: Yeah. um Well, it's that's multi-layered. Mm-hmm. So why would someone be? scared of their potential, because you would have to take full responsibility of your life, Mm -hmm. and if you take full responsibility, there's no one you can blame, Mm -hmm. so it's all on you. You make a choice, and it works, great. Make a choice, doesn't work, that's on you. Mm -hmm. People don't like that. They wanna have reasons for why it didn't work out the way that they think it should. I think that's one layer. They also don't want to be let down. If I go and I do this, and that's possible, that sounds great, but I've been let down before, And so I don't wanna do all this work and then have it not work out, so Mm -hmm. let me just not do it at all Mm -hmm. and just talk about it. And I'll just stay a dreamer. Mm -hmm. I can entertain myself by talking through it and making it seem all glamorous, but then when I analyze my actions, I'm not doing anything. Mm -hmm. I've definitely caught myself in that stage at certain Mm -hmm. times. Um, And then there's the relational aspect between uh, parents, loved ones, friends, colleagues, and what those people will think if that person Decides to act on what their intention or intuition is or their desire is, and I think there's different degrees and and percentages mm-hmm. of those big pulls, but those are the main ones. Mm. Fear of rejection being the center of a lot of that.
1: Mm-hmm. And how do you, how James do you see identity playing into this? Because I think that's a that's a really important one. It's it's hard to avoid talking about the ego when we talk about <sighs> mindset, right? And and I I've I've found in the past a lot of people that. They they know all of these things, mm-hmm. yet it's conflicting with who they think they are and then yes. they identify with the trauma, they identify with the story. Yeah. How do you how do you suggest someone start looking at moving through that or or embracing this mm-hmm. death of self?
2: Man. So something recently I've learned about, we talked about this before, internal family system uh, is a form of therapy that originated, I think, in the nineties. I'm drawing on the, the person's name, but basically what it states is that we have a family within ourselves and that we have different identities in our own mind. And depending on a situation or a person, a different identity can come out. The identity of, of Being a firefighter or a protector can come out in certain situations, and then more of a passive identity can come out in other situations. And I think the breakdown is the lack of understanding that there are all these aspects within ourselves, right? And the acceptance of all those pieces. We talk about Carl Jung and um, uh, the—I'm drawing a blank on his name—the thing. It's like a— the, the parts that we throw away. Mm. The, shadow, the work. shadow work. Shadow yeah, work, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like we grew up, we did th- certain things. Those things were not favorable. We didn't get love for them, so we cast them off. Mm-hmm. And because we cast them off, it takes a great deal of effort to try and hold those down, mm-hmm. right? And we spend so much of our time trying not to be something that we don't even end up being who we want to be. Mm-hmm. So part of that is, a, accepting that we have a lot of different dynamics and identities inside of ourselves and yes at different moments different parts of us could come out but really what needs to happen is an acceptance of all of it that the things that we judge are the things that we haven't yet accepted in ourselves and you can look at let's say someone like a hitler or some person that's done something catastrophic in the past and say oh i could never do that if i was in his position that's a really bad way of thinking mm-hmm. it's it's you probably would have done the same exact thing. For sure. Right. And so to realize that the human being is capable of a lot of different things, both good and bad, and recognizing that both that good and bad is in you. I think that's a a really solid beginning start right there. Mm -hmm. Because what that brings is a level of humility into, uh, and compassion into yourself and into others about what environments you want to create wherever you go. So, Mm acceptance of multi identities and then understanding that different situations, different identities will rise and you get to choose if you want that identity to rise or not based on how you heal yourself and your past and how well those identities work with each other in all mm-hmm. at, at situations.
1: So do you, That this is fascinating. I've never it, heard it, of it's it. totally yeah, I, fascinating. I've never heard of it described this way. So I, I love it. So so do you then think that it's, it's important to accept and love these aspects of the self, yes. not necessarily to allow them to die off?
2: Correct. Because okay. w- if you try and kill them off, they don't die.
1: They're still there, yeah. They're
2: still there. Interesting. And you have to spend energy keeping Keep, them in exile.
1: Interesting.
2: But they're always going to try and get back mm, because the mm. only thing that... The self wants to be is unified. But we believe that we can't
1: be. Mm -hmm. So we
2: have to fracture ourselves. Mm. And then we wonder why we don't feel whole. And then we look for other people and other relationships to be the gaps Mm -hmm. that we haven't integrated into ourselves. That's why everybody is a mirror. Mm -hmm. But it isn't until we integrate saying, yes, I have these bad things. Doesn't mean I'll let them happen. But I do have those bads in me Mm
1: -hmm.
2: that I become fully integrated. And now that I'm fully integrated, I have... Maximum
1: choice, yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And th- this is why Carl Jung was always like befriend the shadow. Yes. He was like, you learn it, love it, like, like work with it. Correct. Don't don't get rid of it. Like d- draw it, write from it, communicate with it. He was always about yes. almost befriending your yes. shadow.
2: Yes. And every that. part of ourselves really comes down to protection. Even if something so aggressive as harming someone is a form of protection. If I don't harm them, they're gonna harm me. So these identities emerge to protect aspects of ourselves that we think need protection, Mm -hmm. right? But that's a very um, young way of thinking. It Mm -hmm. it usually got established in between the years of birth to middle school, high Mm -hmm. school, and we just keep that. So we have to acknowledge like, hey, there's a lot to us and I want to be more like this, so let me feed that, but also let me not judge myself for having these other impulses that come yeah. up. Let me hold that, let me document that. I don't necessarily have to act on it, but let me acknowledge it.
0: How has this been for you personally in, in a relationship you've been in for a while and into fatherhood? Yeah. Has this been confronting, has this highlighted certain areas for you, mm-hmm. or has it been a smooth ride? No. <laughs> I <should> think so. <laughs> never, never a smooth ride, man. I
2: don't want smooth rides. There you go. <laughs> um, it's definitely helped me hold a greater space for uh, complexity. Hmm. And when you have children who are learning how to navigate the world, they are the, they're the the definition of doing one thing in one moment and a completely different yeah. thing in another moment. And if I'm not integrating my own self and all the things I think they should be doing at the time that they're doing something, if I don't monitor that, I'm projecting my own fear or my own past whatever's onto them without providing a space for them to grow on their own. Mm. Right? And I'm gonna have certain values and morals that I structure who they are with, but, um I find that the more work I do and the more parts of myself that I accept, the more capacity I have to love, both good and bad, that although you did something that I don't want you to do again, I still love you. But if I didn't do the work, I would only judge mm-hmm. and make it seem like I'm not going to love you until you're more like this, mm-hmm. right? Now, love is just ever constant because I understand all the way, all the things that go into a, de- a decision or The way someone is
0: Mm. so I'm curious on this because we just talked about before you know creating from love or creating from fear yeah parenting from love versus parenting from fear because when planting like rules or this is what you need to do or having you know a way of you know discerning like what is valuable in the household or whatever it may be feels like fear needs to be there there needs to be that in place to kind of support behavior changes what is it with parenting that you figured out and are still <laughs> yeah, navigating, still, yeah. <laughs> like love versus fear, when it comes to being a strong and, and loving yeah. parent?
2: Well, I, I look at fear closely linked to maybe I don't know <laughs> discipline. Yeah, is is a big one because it's like he does things, Aiden specifically, because he's almost three. He does things that, like with other kids, right, taking toys or mm-hmm. pushing them down or you know just learning his boundaries, and so. How do I discipline him to let him know that that's not okay, but also love him and make him feel that he is loved? Right. Yeah. So there's an initial of like, no, we don't do that, and that could be a firm grab on his hands and a look in his eyes. That's not what we do. It could be a talk through of like, hey, we got to let sh- make make him feel like he's a part of this, and da 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 da. Or it could be me pinching his ear mm-hmm. to get his attention, like something, right? Like that's not okay, and dad still loves you. And that could be a hug. Like, Hey, I don't want to be able to do that. I don't want to have to pinch your ear, but you got to listen to dad and these types of things. And so I don't know if that's a perfect way of doing it, but that's the best way that I figured out recently of like, no matter how much I discipline you, you're always going to know at the end of the day, at the end of the night that I love you, I'm always here for you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so,
1: and I'm going to, I'm going to come in on this because I'm not a parent. But my dad was like that. Mm. My dad was, he disciplined me. Like he spanked me yeah. when I was younger. Yeah. But I always knew that he loved me. Like yeah. really. And and some people see a spanking as abuse. And okay, sure, whatnot. But I know my dad was not an abusive person. He was right. a loving, beautiful man. I went through hell when I was younger. I was in and out of juvie. I was, you know, selling drugs. I was into all sorts of criminal activity. It crushed him. Mm-hmm. But I always knew that he loved me. And I always knew that he was going to be there. Mm. And no matter what, every court date, every time I was getting out of juvie, every time I was put in detention by the local police, whatever, he was always there. Mm. And he was always like, I hate what you're doing. And you really need to stop. But I'll never stop loving you. Yeah. And if it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't have made it out.
0: Mm.
1: I wouldn't have. And, and so I always like to share this because I don't have kids, but I experienced the results of what that seed grows to
2: mm.
1: from a very, very dark place, yeah. right? And, and I remember the distinct moment when I was in jail and I, I, I pictured my dad's face when I got my last charge and I saw him crying, but he was still looking at me with love in his eyes, but he was so sad. And I remember that moment like it's still it still brings me to tears thinking about it but that moment I was like what the fuck are you doing mm. and it 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 sprouted and it still took me a while to figure things out sure. but it came from that had that been discipline I would've been like fuck you dad
2: yeah
1: right and so I love how you're sharing this because I'm the product of that mm. in a beautiful way so like I said I don't have kids so I can't talk about how I do it but I can talk about how it worked for yeah. me yeah Mm -hmm.
2: And on the discipline part, like if your dad would have disciplined you, I do notice at times when I'm more firm with Aiden, like if Mm -hmm. I grab his hands like that, then he'll do it back to
1: me. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. It's the rebellious side. It's the like, it's it's like, like, no. Right, so initially they're gonna
2: fight, right? So you gotta give them something that they can't fight with. Yeah. And love you can't fight with.
1: No, you can run, but you can't, (laughs) but then eventually it's it's gonna pull you back. There's no weapon. No.
2: Like it, I mean, maybe love is the ultimate weapon because it's not a weapon. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? That's yeah. what I mean by the the black hole analogy. Yeah. It just
0: sucks in.
1: Yeah.
2: You can try and fly away, dude, but like yeah. eventually.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Ooh. Yeah. Love always wins. Love always wins. man. Love it. Maybe a long game, but it always wins. It's a long. It's an infinite game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right? There <laughs> that's we go. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Amazing.
2: Yeah.
1: <sighs> amazing. Do we so. Feel James, what's alive for you right now, man? What do, you, what do you want to share with people?
2: I think a lot of people think that because I'm in the work the, the field that I'm in, that that I have all the right answers or that I've, you know, try, somehow cracked the code. Um, I don't know that there is a code. And people always say, what's the best strategy to implement? And I was like, it depends on the individual. I'm not here to tell anyone how to live. Everyone mm-hmm. has their own right to, to create their own definition of what success looks like to them, what mm-hmm. a fulfilling life is. There are elements and there are techniques that I have found to be effective for just about everybody. And we could talk about those. And much of what we did today was around those principles. But at the end of the day, like you're just your choices. You know? Mm-hmm. And every day you're presented with that choice. And so what What do you wanna make? And the trick is not to beat yourself up into choosing the right choice. It's to love yourself enough to choose it and to keep loving yourself with the effort that you put into those choices. And if you do that, the people that you attract into your life are only gonna fan those flames. And it doesn't mean that your road's gonna be all paved and beautiful. Like there's gonna, it's gonna be bumpy. It's gonna be rocky. Uh, there may be no path and every day you're building it as you go, but what's the alternative? Mm-hmm. Sitting on your couch in fear, hoping someone's going to come save you. No one's
0: coming. Mm-hmm. Oh, drop the mic. Get out of here. Yeah. Get, get out. Get, here. <laughs> get, here. get out. That's so good. Uh, Cut it. That's it. <laughs> Man, what are you... What do you have going on in your world? Where can people find you? Yeah. How can people connect with you?
2: I think the best way uh, to get in contact is either through Instagram, where I have all my links, or just listen to my podcast, "Be That One Percent Podcast." It's where I share a lot of my ideas, and which
1: uh, is an amazing podcast, amazing podcast. You've done a great job with that. Mm-hmm.
0: I appreciate yeah. you, man. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. Thanks, Thanks for coming on, sharing the codes. Course. Appreciate awesome. you, brother. Much love.
1: You. Yes, and as always, stay, stay lit. lit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Nice man. Woo!
1: That was fire.